KMW, I'm Melissa. And I'm Stephanie Carcace. And we're two sisters and the founders of Millennial Women. And your host of Millennial Women Talk. Dr. Will Cole is a leading functional medicine expert. He consults people around the world, specializing in clinically investigating underlying factors of chronic disease and customizing health programs for thyroid issues, autoimmune conditions, hormonal dysfunctions, digestive disorders, and brain problems. Dr. Cole was named one of the top 50 functional medicine and integrative doctors in the nation and is a health expert and course instructor for the world's largest wellness brands such as Mind Body Green and Goop. Welcome, Dr. Will Cole. Dr. Will Cole, we have been following you for such a long time. We are fans of your book. And we just want to first say thank you for the work that you do because it's so important. And it's really an honor to have you on our show today. So welcome. Thank you so much. Very kind of you. I'm excited to be talking with you. <laughs> Amazing. So you are a functional medicine practitioner. What is that <laughs> exactly? <laughs> what the heck is that? So a functional medicine, evidence-based, in short, if I had to be as succinct as possible, it's, it's evidence-based alternative medicine. So the Cleveland Clinic is a conventional you know, medical institution, but they have a functional medicine center. All the doctors at the Cleveland Clinic's functional medicine center is trained by the Institute for Functional Medicine or IFM, and that's who's trained myself. So I have a, a concierge functional medicine telehealth center. We actually started one of the first functional medicine telehealth centers in the world, consulting people via webcam like this. Uh, for over 12 years, that's what I've been doing. So my, I, we drop ship labs to them. We are guiding them from a functional medicine perspective. But a little bit deeper, what we do, we A, we interpret labs using a thinner reference range. So anybody that's listening or watching this now will know when they go to their general practitioner or their primary care physician, they'll get their basic labs and then they're being compared to this reference range. So that reference range is based largely on a statistical bell curve average of people who go to labs. And people that predominantly go to labs, sadly, are people with health problems. So there's a lot of people that go to labs, they want to find out what's going on. They know intuitively there's something wrong here. They're struggling with some different, you know, different health issues. And they go to their doctor and the doctor says, everything's fine, you know, you're good. Right. But they know, hey, this isn't right. And what they're being unintentionally told is they're a lot like the other health problems, people with health problems that they're being compared to. And comparing yourself with people that aren't feeling good is not any way for you to find out why you aren't feeling good so you can do something about it. So in functional medicine, we're using a thinner range within that larger reference range. That is the functional range where your body is functioning the best. That's where functional medicine gets its name. So we're looking at where vibrant wellness resides, which is typically a really thinner interval within that reference range that you'll see on that conventional lab. But then we're also running more comprehensive labs looking at root uh, issues from an evidence-based standpoint, things like microbiome issues and toxicity issues and hormonal imbalances and chronic infections, whatever is appropriate to the case, we want to get a really thorough look and not just the perfunctory superficial labs that are typically all they need to give you medications. But from our standpoint, we want to find out why do you have a problem in the first place? And rarely is it a medication deficiency that's causing the problems. So we want to get a thorough look. And then we realize we're all created differently. There's not a right. cookie cutter, one size fits all approach to getting healthy. And you could have 100 people with the same set of symptoms, 100 people with the same diagnosis code, and what's causing it for one person isn't for the next person. So 
to use fatigue for an example, or let's say weight loss resistance or hair loss, any one of these symptoms, we see those as just check engine lights. We know the check engine light is on on the car, but, but why? We have to look underneath that proverbial hood to, to see what's going on. And there could be multiple myriad of different reasons why. So instead of giving everybody the same medication, saying see you later, whether it's working or not, we want to look at what the under piece, underlying piece of the puzzle. So that's my long-winded description of functional medicine. <laughs> Now you oh know. Gosh. It's amazing. Okay. Before I get into like my own personal story, um, I really want to know your personal story in the sense of yeah. like growing up. I mean, you always think like doctor. So you always think like conventional medicine. Like how did you even stumble upon what I would even say is really going to be the the new way of practicing, to be honest, because mm -hmm. I think this is really exploding that you don't have to go the conventional way and more the natural way um, of kind of what you're explaining about functional medicine is really, I think, more beneficial yeah. for us. So how did you, when you were growing up, like, how did you even stumble upon it? How did you know, like, hey, I'm not going to be that, that type of doctor. I'm going to be this type of doctor. Like, can you tell us a little bit of your personal journey? Yeah, I, I mean, it started for me very early on uh, in being interested in health and wellness. I was a weird kid, I guess. In hindsight, it was strange. But, <laughs> but I grew up in a home that was interested in health and wellness. My dad was actually a bodybuilder, and he was into that fitness world. And was Mr. Pittsburgh in the 80s and 90s. Oh, wow. And wow. Right? Um, so that is... Uh, not that everybody that's in fitness and bodybuilding is super healthy when it comes to food, but my dad just happened to be in that world of not just fitness and bodybuilding, but also interested in health and wellness professionally as well. So that formed really early on as a kid. I thought it was normal to have your dad like lubed up with baby oil and turquoise speedos like in these competitions, <laughs> yeah. but it, it, it turned out it wasn't normal. But the uh, <laughs> we'd go to the health store and shop it. I mean, look, in the 90s, it was not, there was not tons of choices when it came to, it came to like different types of healthy food. So it was what it was at that point. But then that evolved to be more than, more than just at what we ate at home or what we learned at home about health and wellness. It was something that I wanted to be, own it for myself. I wanted to be trained in this myself. I really, um, and kind of have a relentless personality in the sense of when I really like something, I'm really passionate about something, I just wanted to really focus on that. Uh, I don't know if that, if you guys know about the Enneagram, but anyways, it's just, there's just yeah. personality yeah. types. Who I know about the Enneagram, I'm a, a five, okay. Enneagram five, and it's, it's animal, it's owl, as it tells me anything about, about, about my personality. So I just am a voracious learner and researcher, and that's what I really like to do. So, um, then that evolved to me wanting to be formally trained in this, where I went to Southern California University of Health Sciences in Los Angeles, which there are MDs and DCs and acupuncturists and oriental medicine doctors right, and nurse right. practitioners and all different modalities. And another word for functional medicine is integrative medicine. So then that evolved to me really wanting to be focusing solely in functional medicine, not just in health and wellness generally, but more specifically in this field of healthcare. And then I graduated and we started a telehealth center from the beginning because I, there was a need for it. I would be writing about this or speaking about this, and there'd be people in different states or different countries that wanted a functional medicine perspective on their case. So me thinking about telehealth would be the future of health, I wasn't really thinking about that as like this grand plan. It was just, you know, this person in Idaho or this person in the UK needed a functional medicine perspective. 
So we just needed to do it via webcam. Um, and now obviously in the time that we're living today, 12 years ago, it's obviously more common, but that's, this has been my day job, uh, again, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. for the past decade. So that's how it came to be. It never was, it was never uh, anything other than this for me. It was just um, definitely my lane and my focus and my passion. That's awesome. I love that. I love that. That's that, I love your story. You know, it's funny. We we grew up. Um, I wouldn't say we grew up healthy. So we grew up Cuban and we ate a lot of fried we grew things. Up Cuban. We're we, Cuban. <laughs> well, yeah, we are Cuban. We grew up Cuban. <laughs> so that's our heritage. So we ate a lot of fried things, a lot of rice, a lot of bread, a, you know, a really good food. Right. But one thing that was very common was the medicines and stuff like that. Our mom was like, if we needed to take a Tylenol, it was like if it was bad, like a, like a really bad headache or a fever or something that we needed it, right? So she really steered clear from those types of things. But when we're talking about functional medicine and we're talking about 2020 and, and moving forward and how this is going to look, right? I feel like it's it's sort of marrying the two where you can kind of enjoy life a little bit, but still choose things that are beneficial for you. One thing I have learned and seen is that in functional medicine, a lot of people are saying they can cure a lot of things. I don't know how accurate that is, but like, for example, depression or anxiety, heart disease, diabetes, you know, do you believe that this type of medicine can actually cure these famous illnesses that a lot of people, in, at least in America, have? Yeah. So the, the answer to that is I'm, I'm very specific about the words that I use. I mean, the, to say cure, I think comes with a lot of, um, you know, it's highly charged word. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know that's the right word for it. I don't know. I think sometimes people can use those words very flippantly and cavalierly, and it's not the right word to say it. But what I, what I would say, the vast majority of cases, in almost every case, things like depression and anxiety and autoimmune conditions and diabetes, metabolic issues, heart disease, cancer, what do these have in common? These are largely lifestyle-driven. There's, of course, genetic components to all of those things. Um, but the majority of them, even though there's a genetic component to it, that genetic predisposition is actually being triggered by lifestyle things. So the old thought was that, you know, if my mom had it, or if my dad had it, or this is my lot in life, and this is just my diagnosis. And now we know that that genetics play a part, but it's not the majority of it. So instead of it being this predestined sort of, this is your lot in life, this is, genetics is largely a like a light switch that can be down-regulated or up-regulated, that turned on and turned off based on lifestyle things. So yes, all the things you mentioned are largely overcomable, reversible, supportable, improvable, manageable things through functional medicine. The problem is, within the paradigm of conventional medicine, it is quite an accurate statement for that conventional doctor to say, no, this medication is what you'll, the only option you have. Yeah, that's relatively true, but not absolutely true. It's relatively true within a system where they're trained to diagnose the disease and match it with the medication. So within that paradigm, it's, they're telling you the truth. There's yeah. no reversing. There's no uh, improving these issues other than managing it with the medication, disease-modifying drugs. Yes, right. relatively true, but not absolutely true. Because the, the full truth is that if you shift the paradigm to actually getting to the root cause of why you have the problem in the first place. These are, my job as a functional medicine practitioner is to get this person as healthy as their body's capable of. And for some people, it's 50% better. For some people, it's 70% better. For a lot of people, it is 100% better. So we're all different against different things. 
But my goal is let's, what can we do to move the needle in a positive direction? And for the vast majority of people with these chronic health problems, there's a lot, it, there's a lot of influence that we wield through our lifestyle. Right. And like for those that can only go 50% better, you know, is it because they've done, too, is it too much damage already to the system where it cannot, you can't go all the way to 100%? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. And, and those people that are 50% better, it's actually quite astounding. They're some of the right. most grateful people because they are people that are very, very, very sick and they've tried everything that they know there's nothing they cure for it, right? They, 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 they don't even expect that but they want to live as healthy as they can be and, and reclaim their, their life. Uh, so yeah, sometimes it is things that are damaged, like with autoimmune conditions, for example, that are severe. I'm used to complex, really complex cases. So there are cases that they have had, let's just say MS for decades, and they're in a wheelchair. To say they're gonna be 100% better is a quite a statement. Now, I don't wanna underestimate what the body's capable of doing, and of course there are really amazing cases that can claim their health, and I know them personally. But to say that to everybody is kind of a over very broad sweeping statement that should be pulled back a bit because everybody's different. And there's some things that are damaged because of, to use that example as autoimmunity, that there's not enough regenerative capacity that's gonna do it, but you can still dramatically improve their quality of life and their health overall. Yeah. Wow. It's so interesting when you're saying of like, cause I personally had this experience. So I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's disease. Um, I think it was like four mm -hmm. years ago. And I mean, it, it took a long time to even know what was wrong with me because like, and we'll definitely get into it. It's like, when you kind of say your symptoms, you're like, well, just sleep, you know, more or diet. How many times did I have to, you know, you're not exercising enough. But when I finally got diagnosed with Hashimoto's disease, and they put me on Synthroid, I definitely struggled a lot with that um, in the sense of like, yeah, I was, I guess, pulling up my energy, but it was making me a bit wild, I would, I would <laughs> yeah. say, like, yeah. you know, hormonally wise. And I remember asking my doctor, like, am I going to have to be on this pill forever? Like, when can I stop? And he was just like, no, this is going to be for the rest of your life. And that was hard for me, like to kind of real, like to accept that in a way, especially knowing how much I was struggling hormonal wise, you know, and I feel like I still struggle sometimes with that. And I always blame it on the Synthroid because I'm like, that's just the Synthroid. It's making me crazy. <laughs> but I mean, I would love to just know your thoughts because I'm sure you have experienced this. I've been on your website and I got so excited that you have, you know, a lot of articles and different blogs about and specifically the thyroid, and it affects one in eight women. And yeah. I think in your website, you even say like, this is a silent epidemic. So I know that so many people just like me are struggling with hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's. Um, is it, can you heal it? Do yeah. you have to be on like a hormone replacement such as a Synthroid? Like, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, it is really one of our top patient bases, people, because it is so common. It's the most common uh, hormonal problem there is really. And, and it's the most common, uh, specifically with autoimmune thyroid cases, it's mm -hmm. the most common autoimmune issue too, Hashimoto's disease. And Graves' disease to a lesser extent, but autoimmune thyroid problems are very, very common. Uh, they were the first discovered in science over uh, 100 years ago, so they're very well researched, very well understood. Um, typically, they're not tested for in the West because, like, going back to that earlier statement, it's superfluous from a conventional medicine standpoint. They're going to get Synthroid or, let's say, Roxin right, right. or some other thyroid replacement hormone. 
So if it's not going to change the treatment in a conventional setting, why would they run a test to find out why you have the problem in, in the first place? Right. So from a functional medicine standpoint, it's certainly important because, and most of my patients actually had to ask for the antibody testing. So they asked for their doctors before they met me. So they know they had Hashimoto's, but it's not because the doctor ran it as a conventional or standard go-to lab. Right. Even though I know there are some more progressive things from doctors that do test for that. But even, even if they did test for it, there's really not an action step for it in right. the conventional setting. So the answer is, it depends. It depends on what that person's up against. It depends on how much their immune system has destroyed. If they do have an autoimmune thyroid problem, meaning their immune system's attacked with thyroid. So many people that catch it early on, that when they run an ultrasound, their thyroid's basically all intact, but their body is creating some autoimmune response. There's a high chance that with time and dedication, they can reduce and eliminate their thyroid replacement hormone and their doctor's able to reduce and eliminate that. So that's just consistent working on their physiology, on their health. Then there's some people that you run an ultrasound and the thyroid is kind of ravaged by, it looks like, uh, you know, Swiss cheese in many ways where the wow. immune system destroyed a lot of their thyroid. And at that point, they're, they still have to deal with their health. They still have to deal with the autoimmunity because they're at an increased risk of other autoimmune issues that they continue to let the inflammation run wild. Because remember, the thyroid wants to work well with Hashimoto's. It's just being attacked by the immune system. It's an autoimmune condition attacking the thyroid, not truly a thyroid problem inherently or primarily. So it depends on what the person's up against, how fast they're catching it, how much damage has been done and a myriad of other factors. But then there are other thyroid problems that are not autoimmune too, that need to be explored as well. Uh, under conversion of the thyroid hormone, meaning the conversion of T4 to T3, there could be high thyroid resistance, there could be uh, hypothyroidism secondary to pituitary hyperfunction, basically the brain's not speaking to the thyroid. Now, that could be completely independent from Hashimoto's disease or autoimmune thyroid issues, or someone with Hashimoto's could have more than one of these things. So all of this stuff needs to be taken into consideration. And again, my main goal is let's find out what's going on. We have to know what we're dealing with, do something about it. But then when we do something about it, let's get this person as healthy as their body will allow. It's not a quick fix, but for some people it is 100%. For some people it's 70%. But somewhere in that upper bracket of what their body's capable of doing, that's, that's my main goal. Yeah. Wow. So when you're talking about... Um these autoimmune diseases especially and things that conventional medicine won't tackle which like your lifestyle right um outside of just telling you get on a diet and exercise and right. you're like okay you go home and you're like what do i do you know <laughs> um what are kind of like your i know every patient that you you know help is individual but what's kind of like your basic lifestyle like do you have a preference for um types of exercises like on a personal level like when they told me like I was like 50 pounds overweight of where I am right now like I and it was just not budging Dr. Wilco like it was not <laughs> budging at all and I was like going to like orange theory like doing high high intensity like calorie deficit high intensity workout wasn't doing nothing for me and then I when I switched over to doing like Pilates and lower intensity it actually, and for even shorter amount of time, I started dropping weight. So it was like very interesting, that journey. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of the things that you've seen in your clients that you like to recommend when it comes to um, just lifestyle changes in, in eating and exercise? 
So if I hung my hat on one way of doing food or doing exercise, like you said, like it, it you'd be proven wrong all day long doing what right. I do. So right. I do keep an open mind to the fact that there is so many, there are so many variables to take into consideration. It's not the sexy answer. It's not like the <laughs> it, it, social media answer right, to yeah. say context matters. Uh, but it's definitely true. In some ways, maybe it should be refreshing for people that are doing all the things but are still struggling. That is proof of what we do in functional medicine, that yeah. just because something's healthy, just because something worked for somebody else right. doesn't necessarily mean it's right for you. And a lot of the things that my patients say, a bit like the sentiment is said in different ways, but the sentiment is whatever advice there is, I have the opposite reaction. That's a very common autoimmune Gosh. thing. That yes, <laughs> totally. And you're not alone. You're yeah. not alone. So I, to me, it's like uh, what is up is down, down is up when it comes to that. But like, like some common truths is that they should decrease the amount of sugar they're having. If they're not doing that, they should start there. We all have different tolerance of things like sugar, but some people can't have some and they're fine. But a lot of people should, most people should decrease it dramatically because that's going to disrupt the microbiome, which is the gut bacteria. It's going to raise inflammation. It's going to impact insulin and your hormones, increase oxidative stress. I mean, the list goes on and on. It's going to impact, Sugar. really derail your, your physiology. That's pretty much any human being can fall into that category. Second thing is have more cooked things, uh, lots yeah. of soups and stews. Most people's guts are really wrecked. And they don't have the ability to digest foods very well. So even healthy foods can be really hard to digest. A lot of people are getting bloated and pain from eating salads. So oh my gosh. It, salads like that. Yes. Picture of like what a healthy meal is. Have a salad. Have tons of salads. We'll tell everybody with gut problems. That's not fun. They couldn't have tons of salads. So you have to have lots of soups and broth and stews while your gut is healing. As your gut heals, you can have more raw things, no problem. But at the beginning, you're gonna have to sort of repair your gut. Mm. Um, and you know, focus on things that are calming to the immune system beyond soups and stews. Healthy fats are one of them. Right. Uh, things like avocados and olives, extra virgin olive oil, wild cut fish, um, decreasing the sugar that I mentioned, decreasing grains is a good idea for most people. Some people can have some gluten-free grains, no problem, but decreasing the amount of them. Yeah. Uh, decreasing dairy is another good idea. Decreasing polyunsaturated fats. Uh, these are the, um, the not all polyunsaturated fats, because omega fats are polyunsaturated fats from fish, but I'm saying that processed industrial seed polyunsaturated fatty acid oils, like canola oil, vegetable oil, these uh, industrial seed oils that are used a lot in different box things as well as restaurants yeah. so that those are the things it's actually what i call the core four uh, in the inflammation spectrum in my second book mm -hmm. that's the four foods that are most likely to drive inflammation levels up that's sugar grains dairy and industrial seed oils so having less of those and increasing things like healthy fats and broths and soups and stews are is a good starting place mm, that's so so good and it's funny because her and i i think it was yesterday we spoke about sugar and eliminating sugar but then we were talking i was like but wait but doesn't sugar come like sugar canes and it comes from the earth and i'm thinking all these things so can you have like for example raw cane sugar like in like like i said like i mentioned we're cuban so i drink my <laughs> cuban coffee with a little bit of sugar in the morning it's like kind of same thing so like if i get if i drink it with raw cane sugar is that good or is it just should i just eliminate sugar altogether 
Well, okay, we all have different tolerance to these things. Some people can have some of those more naturally uh, processed sugars and they're fine. Um, So you just have to look at how much you're having and how much glucose tolerance and insulin sensitivity you have. Right. Uh, Some people can't get away with that and they would behoove them to go off of it at least for a while and then try to reintroduce it and see how you feel. Um, So doing an elimination diet approach with sugar isn't a bad idea for a lot of people to consider. Or you could look for more whole food based sweeteners like honey, pure honey, uh, maple syrup, uh, even coconut sugar. I mean, these things have some minerals and things. And and, uh, organic cane sugar technically has some minerals in that too. Um, But I would just go for the most unrefined natural stuff possible. But even those natural things are still going to raise glucose and insulin. So they're better alternatives. But the other option is going for like a natural low carb sweetener like stevia or stevia, xylitol, monk fruit, uh, other things like that. Not that you should be having copious amounts of those either, but they have less of an insult on blood sugar and insulin and hormones if you have them sparing. Or That's just so get interesting. used to the bitter, co- like black coffee taste, like me. <laughs> I know, I know. I haven't been able to like retire it. Like Steph I was has. so like because <laughs> I was like at war with this body. I was like, no sugar. I'm not gonna do any sugar. I, I got used to that bitter taste, and I actually really like it now. It's like you know, I enjoy my yeah. cup of coffee in the morning. She I'm does. Like, I'm waiting for that bitter taste. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about inflammation because I know so many people, um, even on social, like it's very common, like sugar, stay away from inflammation. Um, but what exactly does infl- inflammation in the body cause? Mm-hmm. So uh, inflammation is a product of the immune system. Um, and, and you're right, it is, can be um, kind of a nebulous term, like what the heck is it? It, it yeah. seems kind of obscure, mm-hmm. but it is a, a needed in balance. Actually, ba- healthy measured uh, balanced inflammation levels are fight viruses, fight bacteria, heal wounds. It's really important to have healthy balance inflammation levels. The problem with is an inflammation that's thrown out of balance. Chronic inflammation, inflammation too high for too long, that is a problem. Mm-hmm. That is linked to just about every health problem under the sun from mm-hmm. autoimmune conditions, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, to mental health issues. So anxiety and depression and fatigue, brain fog, these are also inflammatory in nature, research suggests. Mm. So this is really important for people to realize because what I just mentioned, sadly, is the majority of the human race. Mm-hmm. So this people are impacted by unbalanced immune, immune reactivity or chronic inflammation, most people are. Mm-hmm. But it exists on a spectrum. It's really the, the topic of my second book came out uh, not too long ago, but it's called Inflammation Spectrum, how inflammation exists on a spectrum so it's a way we can, this is what I do with my patients to really abate that inflammation, to calm that, to balance the immune system out and ask the question, what's causing the inflammation in the first place and deal with that. Yeah, I know. I, it's funny because I do feel like most people, certainly we definitely deal with this, right? But when we think about it, it's almost like, well, what's, and of course it's different for everybody, but like, what are the first steps? Like first, what, how do I know? that I have an inflammation problem? And second, what's my first step to start tackling that problem? Well, the first way to know, there's subjective and objective ways to see if you have chronic inflammation. Subjectively, I opened that book with a quiz. 
that's adapted from questions that I ask patients. So they can just take the quiz, the inflammation spectrum quiz. I have it free on my website too, on drlocal.com. Yeah. So people can just get a good understanding of, look, it's not a lab, it's not a doctor's visit, but it is a pointer as to where am I at on the inflammation spectrum. And that's the first thing. Objectively, run labs. You can ask your local doctor to run most of these labs. We run them for people around the world. Other functional medicine doctors can run them too. But things like high sensitivity C-reactive protein, it's a really easy, accessible inflammation test. It's a conventional test. It's a good test to see generally how is inflammation levels. So we want CRP to be under one in functional medicine. Higher levels are associated with inflammation. Homocysteine is another inflammatory marker. We want that under seven. Uh, and there's other ones too. Ferritin, we can look at that as a, an acute phase reaction. So ferritin can be spiked in states of inflammation. That's basic conventional tests. And then, of course, we get deeper in functional medicine if we need to. So underlying gut issues, toxicity issues, uh, chronic viral infections that can trigger inflammation. There's a lot of under comp underlying components that can drive inflammation and perpetuate it. And sometimes we do need to dig into that. Right. Um, and some people are just genetic more sensitive to these things too. So people with autoimmunity, there's certain genetic variants that we look at, like the MTHFR gene variant and other methylation gene SNPs, as they call them, or single nucleotide polymorphism. You mentioned Hashimoto's disease. Okay. There's almost a, there's a huge overlap between MTHFR gene variants and people with Hashimoto's disease. So we can look at the genetic stuff and the epigenetic stuff, this, this confluence of factors that can give rise to things like chronic inflammation. Yeah. You know, it's funny, before you came out, we were we were talking with um, actually one of our cameramen about mm -hmm. uh, diets and things like that and, and how in the baby boomers generation, right, they almost kind of ate everything and did everything, mm -hmm. which obviously developed inflammation now and, and, and stuff like that. And then for us as children, we kind of, like I was saying earlier, fried foods and we kind of just inherited whatever our parents cooked, we mm -hmm. ate it. Right. Why do you think this information that's so valuable, right? What you're, what you're sharing with us today wasn't shared or learned about back in their times. Like, why is it now that this is coming to light? Why didn't they have access to this information? Well, I think it's uh, uh, it was an abandonment of the origins of medicine. Because around that time, you saw a, a slow, gradual um, abandonment of what medicine was founded on. Right. Uh, because... Of, Hippocrates, the father of modern medicine, every doctor takes the Hippocratic oath. He said thousands of years ago in Greece, he said, let food be thy medicine and medicine thy food. Mm -hmm. He said, first do no harm. He said, all disease begins in the gut. So research is really catching up with antiquity. It's medicine that left its origins, not the other way around. So if anything, I think functional medicine is just a return to those Hippocratic oaths, all of them. I love so I, I think that that is uh, definitely how I see it. The modern time, when you're talking about the 1950s, mm -hmm. 1940s even on, there's there's been this slow, gradual uh, abandonment of that where it became the training of conventional medicine became to diagnose the disease and match it with the medication. They're trained very little, if at all, on lifestyle changes. Uh, so that's just the co-opting of the way that the system is, which I'm sure there's a lot of political reasons behind that people can get into. Yeah. That, <laughs> my job is to not get into the political mess, but it's just to say, how can I change my heart and mind at a time right. or collectively in conversations like this to really move the needle in a positive direction? So this is just a return to it. It's interesting. My 
my third, my upcoming book, the newest book, is mm -hmm. called Intuitive Fasting. And that's another thing too. People are like, oh, fasting is such a new trend. But I show yeah. in the book how this has been in medicine for a long time. Right. Paracelsus was another father of medicine. He was known as the father, father of toxicology. He called fasting the physician within. Mm -hmm. So you're, we're tapping into these healing mechanisms. So Paracelsus and Hippocrates used fasting too in his patients. Paracelsus and Hippocrates didn't know the mechanisms and the double-blind uh, double placebo-controlled trials of how fasting worked. They just saw anecdotally that it worked. Right. And now research is catching up with that antiquity that we have all the cool science behind it to show how these things like fasting or eating or healing the gut actually do heal your body. Right, right. And when we talk about diets too, right, there's so much like, for example, we had talked, uh, Steph and I knows that I have been, I'd done plant-based three times. I yeah. really tried, I loved it, but my body wouldn't, couldn't sustain, right? I needed to have the meat, right? By the third or fourth month, I was like crashing. I had horrible migraines. Second, I ate a piece of chicken or even a piece of red meat. I was back to normal. It, do you believe that all bodies, right? Cause they talk so much about plant-based. It's so good for you. It's so good for you. It's so good for you. But like as a generic, you know, I, and I'm sure I know what you're going to say, but I have to ask the question, you know, what are sort of like, should we be testing different diets, see what works for us? Or is there sort of like a blueprint that we can get started? And because really my, my intention for this question is, you know, avoiding these dis long-term diseases, Alzheimer's, cancer, heart disease, diabetes, right? When I think about the diseases and I read about how it can be healed with food, I'm like, well, maybe plant-based is it, or I don't know. Like, is there sort of like a, a blueprint that you kind of, or a baseline that you give your clients, you know, to sort of avoid these, these effects that could happen, especially here in America? Well, I would say focus first on getting those core four foods out, grains, dairy, right. sugar, industrial seed. That from there you can move out. And at that point, depending on how unhealthy your gut is, you may have to have more soups and stews, which they can have plant-based, obviously vegetables, tons of stews right. uh, can be fine with vegetables, but they're soft, cooked, pureed. Um, and then from there, I prefer being more plant-based actually. So I think that as long as you're repairing your gut and you're having a variety of these foods, and as I advocate in Ketotarian, in my first book, right. it's a, it says mostly plant-based for a reason. It right. doesn't say entirely plant-based, it's mostly plant-based. And same with intuitive fasting, which is kind of part two of ketotarian. It's exploring using this clean, mostly plant-based ketogenic way of eating with intermittent fasting to improve your health. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think that that's a problem with being plant-based. I think you can leverage the benefits of being more plant-based, which is good for your microbiome diversity, like from a fiber standpoint, there's a lot of solid evidence showing that it's very healthy. Um, it's agreeable for all people, mm -hmm. um, and you're avoiding a lot of food, which is a good thing too. But that's not to say that there are certain times in somebody's life where they are on different protocols to facilitate a goal. So for example, I use a clean, well-formulated carnivore protocol uh, for in some of my patients that have insane amount of food sensitivities, Every plant food under the sun is causing a reaction to them. Mm. We've done all the other more uh, understand, like, easy to understand, uh, uh, easy to digest protocols, and those even those don't work. So at that point, sometimes you do have to lean into it. So I use the carnivore diet as like the ultimate elimination diet for a time for people where it's clinically relevant. Does that mean I think everybody should be carnivore forever and ever? No, I don't. But the point is, Back to that earlier statement, context matters. And I think you have so much conflicting information out there yeah. 
and Dr. Google. Yes. But the reality is what's right for you, what's right for you, and what's right for you now. What's right for you now may not be right, right for you five months or let alone five years down the line. So keep an open mind and meet your body where it's at. Use these amazing tools that are coming out of research and coming out of just anecdotal information through amazing conversations like this to experiment it. What improves your energy levels? What improves your digestion? What improves your sleep? What improves your libido? What improves your hair? Mm -hmm. What improves your labs? What improves your labs? And then do more of that and do less of things that move you away from it. Yeah. So that's the art and the science of what I do in functional medicine. There's this duality that you have to hold of both. And the art is not being so tribal that you miss out on what's going to actually benefit this person. Mm. So good. How about um, supplements? Like, I know we're talking a lot about food, healing the body, but what are your thoughts on, on supplements? So the food is first, as we talked about. I mean, you can't supplement your way out of a poor diet. You have to start with food. Food is medicine. Yep. Food will be your multivitamin. Your meals will be your multivitamin. Let's start there. But from there, there are some core supplements that I think are most people would benefit from in on top of a healthy diet. So uh, methylated B vitamins are one of them. These are things like methylfolate, methyl B12, or methylcobalamin, a variety of different methylated or healthy source uh, B vitamins. Because many people have impaired methylation impairments and have uh, their their body's not uh, methylating well, which impacts the immune system and hormones and detox pathways and the production of things like glucose ion. So methylated B vitamins would be one. Oh, vitamin D3 and K2, mm -hmm. two fat-soluble vitamins. And I would add, honestly, true vitamin A in that too, or retinol. So I think a fat-soluble vitamin source of some degree, um, D3, K2 often come together. Um, things like cod liver oil um, can get you vitamin A. Organ meats can get you vitamin A too. Um, and uh, some anti-inflammatory support or immune support from like a curcuminoid, turmeric is a decent option for most people. Um, that to me are some of the basic things that people could benefit from. I mean, you could say a probiotic, even then I don't think you always should be on the same probiotic forever and ever. I think rotation is good so you don't create a monoculture of a certain colony forming unit. So even then, I have people cycle in and out of that and use food there, fermented foods, et cetera, to help with that. So yeah, not much, the core stuff. And then from there, we can get targeted. We can get more specific. So if someone needs more gut support, we give them that. We give them more gut support. There. If they need more hormone support, we go there. If people need more brain support, we go there. But not everybody has to be on all that right. stuff. So we have the foundation stuff, which isn't that big. And then from there, you may have to be on these certain protocols that we and substantiate with labs and health history to see if that's clinically appropriate. But those things oftentimes, if not every time, they're not forever and everything because we're fixing the problems you can come off of them. Right. So they're not something that you would just take forever and ever. So, uh, they're, they're used for a time to heal, to target what needs to be improved, but not forever and ever. I love that. I have one question. Like just hearing you, you speak is just so interesting and you're giving so much value. Thank you so much. Um, so many people do want to work with functional doctors, right? Um, but a lot of like insurance plans don't cover this, you know, a lot of, so do you think it's ever going to be a time where, you know, you're talking about this is actually how medicine, the field of medicine was and should be, right? Do you mm -hmm. think, and you're returning to it, do you think that um, 
I don't know, like, what are your thoughts in, in get, giving this sort of um, practice to the masses, at least, you know, here in America, which is where we are, where we can speak on, like, how do you, how do you see that actually happening to be able to, for every mm -hmm. average person to be able to, to access this, to help. get access yeah. to this? Sure. So I, I mean, look, I, for 12 years, I've been consulting people online. The vast majority of them, over 90% of them are middle-class, working-class people. Very rarely do I see like celebrities and super wealthy people there. I mean, our top patient base to give you any idea of like professions of what a people I see, they are school teachers, they're uh, nurses, people in healthcare. So school teachers, nurse, nurses, and engineers. Like basic working class people, right. um, they do well for themselves, but they still have to work nine to five, actually way longer shifts than that for many of them. Mm -hmm. uh, and they all have a few things in common. One, they all love spreadsheets. <laughs> Their <laughs> professions do. They want to ask, what's the root of my problem? Like, how can I get this improved? Yeah. But they have, they want to have agency over their health. They want to actually know what, what's the real reason why I have this problem? And they're asking questions. So that's what I'm used to. I'm used to people that are just not independently wealthy, but want to get healthy. Right. That's most of the people that I talk to. I love that. So, I honestly think most of the time, and this isn't a popular opinion, but it's a priority thing for most right. Americans. There's, of course, exceptions to the rule. Of course, that there's a vast need to make this more accessible. Yeah. There's a vast need to make this more affordable. Absolutely. But the most of the people that are complaining about functional medicine not being accessible, they're spending the money on things that are far more, right. I mean, luxuries that rest of the world consider them very much luxuries. Right. So there are exceptions to the rule, but that's what I would say. It's a priority thing, not so much a price issue for most people. With that said, I am very much cognizant of wanting to make this more accessible, more affordable for more people. Yeah. And then we have a long way to go. What, one of the measures that we're doing is we launched a group class, which enables us to be a webcam. It's a telehealth group class. enables us to lower the overhead. I can talk to 100 people in the same time frame that right. normally concierge one-on-one. I'm spending an hour and a half with one person. Right. So I can really use my time in a way where it lowers the cost for them and I can still get them labs if they need it. I still can educate them. I still can be there for them. I'm talking to these people, the group class, I'm talking to them every week. Wow. So actually, but it's a lot more impactful because yeah. I'm able to talk to a Zoom room of like tons yeah. of people yeah. educating them every week for four months. So it's a one way that we are doing to make this more affordable and more accessible to people. And all those people are middle-class people. I mean, it's okay. just, um, uh, it's they're really awesome people, but it's really a cool experience to be a part of part of the health journey. That's, That's amazing, awesome. and I mean, you're helping so many people. Yeah. Just you know, in, in your practice, obviously, but with your books, I mean, we've read your books, and they're amazing. And the content you put online too is super, super helpful. So you're already making such a big a big difference. I want to talk to you a little bit about your new book, Intuitive Fasting. You touched a little bit on it earlier. I'm somebody who has seen fasting all over Instagram, and I'm like it seems so intimidating and it seems a little bit scary, right? Cause I'm like, I'm just not going to eat. What if I pass out? You know, like that's kind of like what I think about. Can you talk about your new book and also why fasting is so important for our health? Yeah. So fasting, as I mentioned earlier with paracelsis and it's been used uh, medicinally through all throughout history. It was used obviously sometimes because of food availability, just out of necessity, mm -hmm. but our genetics haven't changed in 10,000 years. But yet our world has changed very dramatically in a very short period of time. And you look at the totality of human history and our genetics, which have, haven't changed in 10,000 years. Right. So eating more in alignment with 
what humans would have evolved with and adapted to is a good idea. Uh, so it's that physician within. It's been used, obviously, spiritually for many different, in Christianity and during Lent, actually started as fasting in, in Islam with Ramadan and Judaism and Yom Kippur right. and Tishba'af. So there's a lot of spiritual reasons for that too. Anyways, we are realigning ourselves with, what, with that physician within. And intermittent fasting or time-restricted feeding is quite a flexible the way that I advocated for it. It's really flexible. So it's nothing punitive. It's nothing arduous. I want people to really get to the place of, as the name of the book implies, intuitive fasting. So to actually know what their body loves and know what their body hates, to really get to a place of food peace. That's the goal. Mm. So I reference this concept in Ketotarian, but I really explore it in a deeper way in intuitive fasting of food peace. How can I really get to a place of intuition? But it's really hard when you're in the throes of imbalance inflammation mm -hmm. to really know what your body loves when oh, you yeah. have hormonal imbalance, have autoimmune flares. Like, is it intuition or is it hangriness? Is yeah. it intuition or insatiable craving? Because stress eating isn't intuitive eating. Emotional cravings is not intuitive eating. That's actually the opposite, but it masks itself as intuition. Mm. But it's actually going to perpetuate more imbalance more inflammation and more not feeling well, which is the antithesis of what the, your intuition wants. So flexible fasting is a way that you can gradually lean into, to lean in this, in this time of pause, this time of stillness for your body to reset, to repair, to renew, to rebalance. That's what we're doing. So I'm cycling people in the book through a four week, every week is a different type of intermittent fast. Mm -hmm. We start off with a lighter one and then we gradually get deeper and then lean back out. So it's this vacillating fasting and eating window that will build something called metabolic flexibility. So at the beginning, you're right. Like it seems counterintuitive to say, how could fast intuitive? I'm going to get hangry. I'm going to yeah, be starving. Right. I'm going to get low blood sugar. What the heck? You lean your body into it <sighs> gradually and have a grace and a lightness with your body to start to gain metabolic flexibility, become a fat burner also to grow your intuition so that you'll be able as you start feeling better and you start leaning into these practices mm -hmm. you'll start to know intuitively when you need to eat when you need to fast and there shouldn't be this punitive arduous thing where you have more fast is always better more fasting isn't always better so sometimes you have to lean in and feed yourself more and uh it's it's all this stuff is what i talk to patients about i'm just really excited to share this information with people intuitive fasting is really really good and i know people will be able to learn how to intermittent fast in a way that works for the body and not be super punitive so i cannot good. wait for this book yeah well we did get a little sneak peek i will tell you vet sent us a sneak peek and we're you just forwarded it to i me. did oh and gosh. i'm really excited to dive in um because like i said i yeah. was so intimidated by it and i have this fear of always like fainting and i'm like but if i don't eat then i faint do you know what i mean so it's i think just... you said that the other day when you went to the beach and i was like oh yeah people were in the desert before well, like... i didn't have well i was intuitive that morning i didn't want breakfast and i usually have breakfast right and i was like i just don't want it so i didn't have it went to the beach and then i was like oh what if i pass out because i didn't have breakfast you know it's just stupid things like that that your yeah. mind just psychs you up for but funny. i have been curious about it because i feel like it does benefit and i do think that your body does need a reset would you say it's sort of like a reset for your body absolutely so the four weeks it first week is a body reset fast it's a lighter fast then we get a little bit deeper in week two for your metabolism week right. three is the deepest fast it's an almost omad fast which is an acronym that stands for one meal a day so it's oh. just done every other day 
week three. Oh, well, you're that would really scary, maybe. We're going, yeah, you're scaring me. That's little by little, right? <laughs> it's just for every day for week three, and then you lean back out. So think of it as a okay. proverbial yoga class for your metabolism. Your yoga class, it's when you're starting yoga, it's probably really difficult. When you go into the gym, it's really difficult. Right. And you're like, how am I going to hold these poses? Oh my gosh, it's super difficult. But people saying, oh, I can't do yoga or can't work out, and they're a little bit sore from working out. That's like, and then say it's not for them. Well, it's like saying going to the gym isn't right for them. It, this, this is the yeah, same thing. Totally. This is, you need to train your metabolism to stretch and contract, get stronger, get more flexible. And at the end of that yoga class, you have that savasana and you're laying back and you're chilling. Like that's what I want people yep. to get to where they can put, have these bigger eating windows, but then go contract them. That ebbing and flowing mimics what humans would have done for a long time and it gains metabolic flexibility so you can become a fat burner, you can increase your brain function, lower inflammation levels, increasing something called autophagy, which is cellular recycling, sort of anti-aging pathways. There's a lot of cool stuff. I talk about the science, but we make it approachable for people in the book. It's so cool. Our bodies are amazing so awesome. if we just we give are. it the chance to do so. Yes. yes. Oh, I that was it. so good. I want to end it right there because that is so true. Yeah. Our bodies are amazing. <laughs> I love it. I Dr. Will Cole, you, you're just amazing, honestly. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on our show today. And you really shared a lot of value with our, with our listeners and our watchers today. And we are forever grateful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. If you want to learn more about Dr. Will Cole, visit drwillpole.com. And don't forget to pick up a copy of his latest book, Intuitive Fasting, the flexible four-week intermittent fasting plan to recharge your metabolism and renew your health. And don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe. This helps us bring you insightful conversations just like this to you every single week. We encourage you to continue on with the conversation. Keep being the strong, amazing woman that you are and never forget to live inspired. Until next time, Always love Melissa and Stephanie Carcace.